So uh, before I read uh, the text today, we're going to um, we're up to Philippians 1, 27 to 28. But before I read that, I want us to take a few moments and pray. And um, what I want us to I want us to pray for two things primarily. Uh, obviously, I, I know you're praying that the sermon is short, clear and worthwhile. Uh, but in addition to that, let me uh, let me add two things uh, to that. And. Uh, that is, we should pray for uh, sick people today, uh, and we should pray as well uh, for um, our unity uh, as uh, folks make decisions uh, this week about uh, how or whether or not they will celebrate Thanksgiving and in what way they will do that so that we can uh, love one another even when we come to different conclusions about how to do that. Uh, and so I think that would uh, that would be a good exercise of kind of what we just sang about, you know, uh, that uh, let us be known by our love. I would rather be known for being right. <laughs> um, but uh, um, perhaps, you know, the spirit to be at work in us that. Uh, uh, to be right uh, is to be uh, loving, right? So, in light of that, let me uh, let me pray, uh, and then uh, uh, we'll uh, jump into this text. Lord, as we come to you today, thanks so much for loving us. Thanks for how big your grace is. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, that um, as folks gather or don't gather this week, that you would be in that, that you would give us forbearance and long suffering with one another. Uh, and that uh, you would uh, protect uh, uh, your people. We pray, too, Lord, for those who are sick and suffering among us. There are many uh, that you would guard their lives, that you would give them hope in the gospel, uh, and that you would uh, uh, heal. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we cry out for you to do that work. Uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So Philippians 1, 27 to 28, text is in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. Uh, this is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So this word here, only uh, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, is a, is a worthwhile thing for, you, for all Christians to, be, to have their lives described that way. It, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, if we belong to Jesus Christ, if we are body, soul, and, and spirit, uh, uh, bought by his blood, uh, then if that is true of us, if that is what uh, matters to us, then it should be demonstrated in the way in which we live, right? And so I think everybody would would agree with that, 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 that that's the truth. Now, there are plenty of times where, you know, you could follow, uh, someone could follow you around and you would look like a Christian, and other times they might follow you around and you don't look like someone who follows Christ. But in general, the church finds its power and finds its authority insofar as it reflects Jesus Christ. And the church is weak and powerless uh, and useless, no matter how much it may have programs, riches, that sort of thing, uh, 
if it is not reflecting uh, Jesus Christ, right? And so that's what Paul wants the people there in Philippi to come to grips with is he wants them to, uh, uh, to realize that. Now, it's a very interesting thing to, to note the kind of language that Paul uses here. And I, I always hesitate to use New Testament Greek in my sermons because it's really boring. I took Greek. I know what it's like. And so, but it's important for us to, to understand this because this uh, phrase, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, uh, actually it kind of summarizes one word, and that word is polituomai, right? Which you should hear the word kind of where politics kinds of com- comes from that, that city, state, that sort of thing. And this would have been really important to the Philippians because the Philippians valued uh, their Roman citizenship. Uh, most of the residents of Philippi were retired Roman soldiers and, and Roman government officials, and they were proud of that, that that mattered to them that they uh, uh, had an allegiance to the greatest city, uh, the greatest empire in the history of the world. They were a part of that. And so they that was a big chunk of their identity, right? And so uh, it's important for us as people who are citizens of this country to come to grips with that as well. Um, I love America. I really do. I can't imagine... Uh, being uh, anywhere else. My ancestors uh, uh, were involved in fighting for uh, the independence of this country. Um, it's a, it's, was a, it was a big deal to, to us, right? Um, I love so much about it. Um, uh, even in the midst of a very fraught and fractious and divided time. Uh, but if America goes away tomorrow, and it could, it does not affect my ultimate citizenship. Because I am first and foremost a, a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that matters way more. That is more essential to my identity uh, than anything uh, that America could ever offer. And so I think it's important for us to, to, to kind of come, come to grips with that, with that as, as, as we think about this, because what, what Paul is getting at here is he's kind of using this idea of civic uh, 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 um, allegiance and identity and that sort of thing, and he's kind of flipping that and saying, but, you know, here's where your real allegiance should lie, because this is where your ultimate citizenship is, right? So this verb that he uses there, that polituomai, uh, it means to live as a good citizen, to fulfill or to carry out civic duty. So when, when he says, so let your manner of life, that means live as this kind of citizen, right? Now, some people think that that means that what Paul was writing is, you know, live out your civic duty as a Roman citizen in a good way. But I don't really think that's what he's getting at, because he says over in uh, Philippians 3.20 uh, that our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think at the root of Paul's mind is that citizenship in heaven is what he's, what he's really getting at. And so what he says to us is, as, as people who live here and now, what we are to be about is uh, uh, recognizing that our real citizenship, our real passport, signed in the blood of Jesus Christ, says we belong to him. And that's our first and foremost identity as citizens, right? Our citizenship resides in heaven, in the work and the person of Jesus Christ. 
That, that's so important for us, and that, that matters so much because, ironically, as, as we come to grips with that, as we live fully into that identity as citizens of the kingdom of God, guess what? The country that we live in, the city that we live in, the community that we live in, the neighborhood that we live in, uh, gets blessed. That as we learn to love, as we learn to serve, as we learn to reflect who Jesus Christ is, uh, the people around us and the institutions around us, whether they want it or not, whether they like it or not, whether it's, it's good for them or not, as, as Jesus is held up and as he shapes us, directs us, leads us, uh, demonstrates to us what love and grace and mercy and justice is, as he does that, then the rest of the world gets blessed. So, so if you, if you want to be a great citizen of America, live into the citizenship that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again to give to you, right? And that is what, uh, that, that's what Paul is getting at here. That's what he wants to be, be true of us. Next slide, please, Clara. So, so the fact is, as he says that, is he wants us to understand that our identity with Christ, that Jesus Christ is of infinite worth. And because we belong to him and because he has done this to us, done this for us, that changes the way we think about the world. So our king is not Caesar. That's what the, the church in, in Philippi could say. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And that our treasure is not of this world, right? And so the freedom that we experience in Christ in that actually enables us now uh, to, be, uh, to be better uh, citizens of the commonwealth. That's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an important thing for us uh, to think about and to, to kind of unpack because the way we tend to think about it, and, and Paul gets at this here, is th- so that the witness of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, could go forward into the culture in which we live. You know, it's an old thing. Everybody says, you know, if you, if you go out and you ask people in the culture, you know, what are Christians for? They can't really tell you what they're for, but they can tell you everything they're against, right? And you know what? We need to be against some things. There are some things, a lot of things, uh, that the Bible and the gospel is clearly against. Uh, but the one thing that is true, and one of the things that is absolutely clear, uh, uh, that this church, the church in Philippi, um, was founded in a conflict. Remember, Paul's in jail uh, for preaching the gospel, for setting a, a girl free from slavery there in the marketplace in Philippi. And as a result of all of that, he's in jail. And his love for the jailer, his love for Jesus Christ, is what spurs that church on to now to be a, a, a thriving, growing church there in Philippi. And that's why he's writing to them, Right. So as we as we look at this, as, as, as you un, un, unpack this text, what Paul is saying is, look, I am suffering. I am experiencing opposition uh, to the gospel. So what I want you to do in response to that opposition, in response to your opponents, is to live fearlessly and to live in unity. Right. To live with unity and with courage. Now, um, that is so hard to come by. And because we we misunderstand uh, what what these what these words mean, right? Um, one of the things about the book of Philippians, one of the reasons why we chose it, is because it, we tend to think of it as a book about joy, right? 
that there's a lot in here about joy, and there is. But part of what the underlying theme in the book of Philippians is, there's a church split on the horizon. Yeah, there's a church split on the horizon uh, because there are two women in the church. And by the way, remember this letter. (laughs) This letter is written to be read out loud in worship. Just imagine if you're uh, Euodia and Syneche and you show up to church and Euodia is sitting over there and Syneche is sitting over here and the people that like her are over here and the people that like her are over there and you're like, oh, we're going to hear from Paul and you hear your name. And what you hear is you're being rebuked. And what you hear is, is that the unity of the church is at stake, right? Um, how awesome would that be, right? I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syneche to agree in the Lord. I bet at that moment they had to stop what they were doing. Let's have a prayer meeting. You know, let's, let's work this out. Let's see what's happening, right? And yes, I ask you also, true companion, companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Next slide. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness, Euodia and Syneche, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Because you see what's happening there in Philippi is what happens to us. And that is pressure is being applied to them. They are running into opposition to the gospel. Their ministry is being opposed by, by the government, probably by merchants, by all sorts of things there in the city. And as a result of that, what happens? Well, what, what, what happens uh, to us very often is, is that when we are put in this kind of situation, we tend to fracture. Pressure sometimes leads us to divide, right? And so, so what Paul is saying is, listen, to demonstrate to the gospel, to the church, or to the, to the community, that the church is indeed a supernatural entity, that it is something unique, that it is something not human, that in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of this opposition, in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this difficulty, not only are we going to have joy, but we're going to have unity. And we're going to have fearlessness, courage, to bear witness to the love of Jesus Christ, even in the face of opposition and hatred. Which is such a different way to, to think about this, because the way we tend to think about this, and the way we, we tend to go about that, particularly in our culture and in America today, is we have opposition, so what are we going to do? We're going to win. You mean there's a competition out here in the world? Well, we're going to win, and we're going to win... And we're going to win. When in reality, what Paul is saying is, yeah, you're going to win, but the way you're going to win is we're going to win hearts and lives for eternity through the gospel of Jesus Christ by loving and by having a demonstration to the world of our unity, right? So, because when life gets hard, unity gets hard. Love gets harder. And so God is giving them faith, right, that God will meet every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So what he wants to say to them is, if God is with you and he is for you, even as you experience difficulty and challenge, you can be united and you can be fearless. Listen, when um, suffering, uh, you know, the New Testament has a very positive view of suffering. 
We don't. That's one of the ways we differ with the the New Testament. Uh, Some of you and some of us, we know that the fact is that as we have suffered, uh, what that has done is that has drawn us together in love. And God uses suffering often to to mature us and to change us. Uh, But we also know that suffering tears people apart. Pressure, difficulty, right? Like, for instance, there's a pandemic going on. Did you know that? There's a pandemic going on. And so we can uh, 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 lose our unity because uh, somebody's not... um, not doing it the way we want them to do it. Right? That doesn't mean we don't say, hey, put your mask on or wash your hands or that sort of thing. Um, But it does mean that uh, when I begin to think, you know, well, of course they're like that because they're progressive or, of course, they're like that because they're conservative, you know. Um, yeah. When pressure and difficulty comes our way, unity is often stretched to the limit. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes the Spirit actually does something profound. And that's what Paul is saying here is let's raise up a sign to the rest of the culture that as pressure comes on, as, as difficulty comes your way, that you are united and that you are fearless in the face of that. Rather than as the pressure comes on, you're divided and anxiously scrapping and fighting, right? When uh, our uh, first child died uh, in uh, the fall of 1989, part of one of the things I know that I live with and I experience in my work is I came home one day and was talking to my wife and I said, you know, Families who lose children uh, have a very high divorce rate. You know, so when difficulty and pressure comes upon churches and communities and countries and counties and cities and small groups and marriages... When we fall upon ourselves for our own resources and for the way to cope with that, rather than leaning into the grace of God, the work of Jesus Christ for us, and uh, that God is giving, will give us faith that he'll meet every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When we don't believe that, we become, well, we turn in on ourselves and we turn against one another often. So Paul wants the dynamic supernatural work of the Spirit to be manifest in the church to the community through their being united around the cross of Christ, the proclamation of the gospel, even as that community wars against them. Listen, are you worried about losing? Whatever that means to you this morning. Are you? I hate to lose. I hate it. Um, uh, You know, one of the things I used to tell our kids as a joke, 
when uh, they were growing up was, you know, if, if you're not cheating, you're, you're not trying. Because <laughs> we want to win. <laughs> right? Don't ever, don't ever believe that, kids. Okay? That's a joke, right? I was just trying to communicate to my kids how important winning is to me, right? So... But the weird thing about the gospel, the weird thing about the, the truth is that the church always wins by losing. And so the courage that we have to face opposition, and, and I certainly believe that the truth of the gospel is faces much opposition in our world today, is not, you know, I would, like I said earlier, I, I would just like to win arguments and I'm not in because I don't really like the people that I argue with so I just want to win the argument and shut them down and I don't care about winning their hearts Jesus cares about their hearts and their lives right um, so I've got three quotes here at the end of the sermon because uh, these guys say this stuff better than I do Russell Moore you may have heard of him He says, Jesus told us to stand with courage, but gospel courage is not the bravado of this anxious age, which um, I think we've seen a lot of bravado of this anxious age in the last three weeks in our country. Uh, In fact, the call to courage is a call to be crucified. One of the ways we tend to define ourselves and to define uh, our church and our community is who's against who. We like to define things by who it is that we're in conflict with. Esau Macaulay uh, writes this. He's a New Testament professor at Wheaton. He says, the Bible calls on us to develop a theological imagination within which we can see the world as a community and not a collection of hostilities. That's the way we tend to think about it, right? Um, uh, Conservative, liberal, progressive, conservative, oppressor, oppressed. That that's how we define it, and that's how we tribalize ourselves up, right? And the church, you see, the church is going to suffer in that because the church says no to all of that. The gospel says no to all of that. Because what the gospel says is to give us the vision of a person who can heal our wounds and dismantle our hostilities. And I, I apologize. I had no idea that that word dismantle is a trigger, trigger word. I found that out after the first service, but it didn't bother me enough to take it out. So I like dismantle. <laughs> I think that's a good word, right? And then the last one is a, a poem. You know, it's getting close to Christmas and um uh, Advent, so this is the only time of year I ever think poetically or about poetry. This is a poem by, and a hymn, beautiful hymn by G.K. Chesterton. This, this was also, those of you of a certain age and a certain kind of music you might like, have you ever heard of a, a group called um, Iron Maiden? They actually recorded this, uh, sort of. Uh, don't look it up. Uh, because if you go on Google, because you want to get this quote this afternoon, and you go on and say, oh, God of earth and altar, skip the, the identification with Iron Maiden and go to the one with the uh, Oxford Choir in England singing this, okay? 
Uh, O God of earth and altar, bow down and hear our cry. Our earthly rulers falter, our people drift and die. When I saw that uh, this week, this helped inform my prayers a little bit because I think, wow, that kind of describes what my week looked like. The walls of gold entomb us. And what a great picture, right? That our connection to our wealth uh, is actually our casket, right? And what, what, a, what a pretty profound picture that is. The swords of scorn divide. Take not thy thunder from us, but take away our pride, right? If we, are, if we were to be united as a church proclaiming the gospel, then uh, it's going to require some humility, isn't it? Uh, from all that terror teaches, from lies of tongue and pen, from all the easy speeches that comfort cruel men, from sell, sale and profanation of honor and the sword, from sleep and from damnation, deliver us, good Lord. Tie in a li- living tether the prince and the priest and throw, bind all our lives together, smite us and save us all. Which is the glory of the gospel, isn't it? Uh, that God strikes us of our pride and our self-sufficiency, and he scandalizes us with his love and his grace. In ire and exultation of flame with faith and free, lift up a living church, a single sword to thee. Um, I know you're concerned about winning and losing and who the winners and who the losers are. Let me just here declare to you today that Jesus Christ won by losing, and he's the winner. Uh, And that's our hope uh, today. Uh, So in light of that, let me pray and then we'll confess our sins together. Lord, thanks today for loving us. Uh, Thanks for your patience and your grace and your mercy. Thanks for this community of the church. Uh, Thanks for those moments where we speak with one voice, united about the truth and the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would mark us, uh, that what would be true of us, and that what the world would marvel at is that we love our enemies well. Those that hate us, those that hate you, Lord, that you would move us in grace and compassion. Would you do that for your glory? for the truth of the gospel, uh, and uh, for the sake of your church. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So let's confess our sins together by using this confession from uh, the book of Common Worship. Uh, would, you, uh, would you pray with me? Righteous God, you have crowned Jesus Christ as Lord of all. We confess we have not bowed before him. And we we are are slow slow to acknowledge his rule. We give allegiance to the powers of this world and fail to be governed by your justice and love. In your mercy, forgive us. Raise us to acclaim him as ruler of all, that we may be his loyal ambassadors, obeying the commands of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
citizens of heaven, hear these words of encouragement. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy.